Growing up as a kid, I spent a lot of time with my granddad. My granddad was a locksmith, and he let me tag along, you know, on a lot of his calls. Uh, I remember as a teenager that we rekeyed a couple of entire apartment complexes uh, together, like during the summertime. And my granddad would teach me kind of the basics of locksmithing, um, which I learned how to take a lock off, dissemble it, take a pin out, put a new pin in, slap it back together, screw it back on the door, and you know, you can re repin a lock. And I learned about the springs and the pins, and my granddad had all these really cool tools. But um, really, when you're a locksmith, you, you, you make difficult things look easy. Um, when my granddad would get a call, he would go and he would help people that were locked out of their house or, or needed a door unlocked. He could get into cars. By the way, granddad would have been a great thief if he wouldn't have been so honest. Been a great thief. But I would watch him and he could literally open a door that was locked in just, just a, you know, 30 seconds sometimes. Just a, just a short instant. He was so good. One time I took some of his tools and I was trying to open some locks and it didn't work so well for me. It was amazing. I was thinking about my granddad this week because I want to talk to you this morning about unlocking spiritual doors. A lot of us have spiritual doors that are locked before us. And you're going to love what I'm going to share with you today. If you're facing some obstacles or if you're trying to help somebody that you really have a heart for, you have a heart for ministry you have a heart to help people, but the doors seem to be locked and, and you don't know what to do. I want you to look with me, if you would, at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16 is your opening um, your Bibles to that. We've been in a series over the last few weeks about the kingdom of God. And uh, in week one, we talked about how we're to pivot towards the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Uh, we talked about how the kingdom has a king and his name is Jesus. And last week we talked about how in a kingdom there are citizens. But today I want to talk to you about the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. And Jesus spoke about the keys of the kingdom uh, in Matthew 16 verses 13 to 18. Now we've defined the kingdom of God as the presence and the rule of God in our lives and in the world. And Jesus begins to speak about the kingdom and the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16. Look at this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And when he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So, a great verse there. Jesus says, on this 
rock, I will build my church. And he says that right after he asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon that revelation, upon that statement, Jesus is the son of God. I will build my church on, on that. Um, our Catholic friends get this verse a little bit confused. Um, sometimes they interpret this as Simon Peter being the foundation of the church. And if you've grown up Catholic, you know that Simon Peter is considered to be the first pope of Catholicism. And uh, they interpret this verse differently. Um, and I want to clarify a couple of things here. Um, Jesus does not say you are Peter. And in the language of the New Testament, Petros. And on this Petros, I will build my church. That's Peter's name in the Greek language, Petros. It means like a pebble or like a rock. Maybe you would pick up a rock and you would throw it, a Petros. So Jesus is using a little wordplay here. He says, you are Petros, you are the little stone, but on the bedrock, Petra, I will build my church. So he's saying, Peter, you're a little stone, but I'm going to build the church on a big stone. Do you see it? And he says, on that rock, the revelation of who I am, the church will be built. So the church is built on the foundation of who Jesus is uh, in our life. And the same word is used, Petra, in Matthew 7, 24, where Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on the Petra, on the rock. So the, the foundation of the church is on the person of Jesus. That's the foundation. And for the kingdom to be unlocked in our life, we have to, we have to understand that. And since Peter is the one who made the confession in this case, he's treated as the representative of all those who would faithfully lift up the teachings of Jesus. So, so when, when Jesus is speaking to Peter and the disciples, he's talking to the church. He's saying... Upon this rock, I will build the church. So this is not a teaching that's just given to Peter. It's something that's given to the church, to all of us that are in Christ. And in verse 18, um, he says, And I also say to you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. Um, the gates of hell have been trying to tear down the church for 2,000 years. And... Jesus says, but I will build my church. It is the heart of Jesus for the church to be built. That's why the heart of God is for this church to grow and to expand and for the other local churches in the area as well. God wants this room to be full because he's in the business of building his church on the revelation of who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this word ecclesia is, is the word we translate church upon this ecclesia, upon this, or, or excuse me, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my church. And the word ecclesia in the ancient world was not a religious term, it was a political term. It referred to government. And so the Roman Empire was in play, uh, Caesar was the ruler, he was the king, and Caesar uh, picked a cabinet. And the cabinet was his inner circle that helped him rule and reign over the Roman Empire. 
Um, we know the president's cabinet today, and maybe you've seen some of the cabinet members on the news, and they have, you know, different cabinet members that are over different areas. And their job is not to speak on their own behalf, but it is to speak on behalf of the president or on behalf of the administration. Well, the cabinet was the same in the ancient world. They were called the Senate, and senators really operated more like cabinet members, but Caesar appointed them, and their job was to legislate the desires and the passions of Caesar. So if Caesar wanted to build a new city, he went to the cabinet, to the, to, to the ecclesia, to the cabinet, and he said, guys, I want you to figure this out. Make this happen. If he wanted to go to war with another nation, he would say, listen, I want to fight these guys. I need you guys to figure it out. So what Jesus is saying here is that you and I are the ecclesia. We are God's cabinet. He is Caesar. He's the king. And he has, admit, he has asked us to administrate his kingdom here on earth. Now, that's an awesome responsibility, is it not? Amen? I mean, that's a big deal. You and I have been given the keys the keys to the kingdom of God. We are to administer God's rule and reign here on the earth. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, the problem is there's a lot of locked doors. And uh, Jesus talks about keys to the kingdom, but he also talks about the gates of hell. And the keys of the kingdom are what open the gates of hell. Now, the gates of hell are, are, are things that incarcerate, that divide, that keep people back, okay? And, and, and you notice he uses the plural term, it's the gates of hell. It's not just one. We have a lot of hell here on earth, don't we? Hell is dividing. Hell is, is, is hurting Hell is dis disabling people from being in the middle of the purposes and the plans of God. And God has given us the keys to the kingdom so that we can bring spiritual freedom to people in the world. And so we need the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom are God's promises found in his great word. The reason God gave us the Bible is because the Bible is the, 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 unlocks the keys to the kingdom. It, it shows us how to unlock spiritual doors that are before us. Um, in verse 19, he says, I will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And so he says he will give us the keys of the kingdom. In other words, we have a great responsibility, and... We've got to use those keys appropriately. Um, have you ever had some keys and you didn't know what they were for? Uh, we were cleaning up um, not too long ago and Gina brought a ring of keys and she said, Ryan, what are, these, what are these keys to? And I said, I have no idea. I have no idea. And you always feel bad throwing away old keys, don't you? Because you always think, well, what if they actually go to something? What if I remember tomorrow or next week what they go to and... and and so forth. But, but sometimes God has given us keys and we're not using them and we don't know how to appropriate them. And this is what a lot of religious people do. People who are religious know what the Bible says, but they don't know how to unlock spiritual doors. 
God's desire for you is that you would be a person that would know God's word and that you would be able to interpret it and to take the keys of the kingdom and to be a blessing to the people that are around you. That's what it means. Yeah, the keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. So what do keys do? Keys give access. Okay? Keys give access. Um, and, and God has given you access to him by the blood of Jesus. God has given us access to his word. He's given us access to his deity. He has given us access to his power. And many times we're not using it. Maybe you've lost your keys. Maybe you forgot what the keys went to. Maybe you can't even find your keys, you know, for crying out loud. But God has given us access. I have given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Keys. Keys give access. They also give authority. You know, when you have when you have keys, you have authority. When we bought this church building, they gave me a set of keys. And it said, I can come and I can go anytime that I want to. I love that. I had authority. I had authority. You have keys to, to some things. You have keys to your home. You have keys to your office. You have keys to other things. You have keys because it represents authority. And in Hebrews 4.16, the Bible talks about that authority. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Did you know you have access to God and when you're hurting and you're struggling, you can approach the throne of grace, how so? With boldness. And boldness only comes when we understand we have authority. We have authority to come before God in prayer because he has granted that authority to us and we can find grace and find mercy in a time of need. Authority. Um, he's given us power. He's given us power. When you have keys, you have power. You can unlock certain things. You can lock certain things up. Um, the keys give freedom. Keys give freedom. When Jesus was on the, the Sea of Galilee with the disciples and the storm rolled in, Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat and the other, the, 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 the 12 are panicked. They're freaking out. Jesus, what's wrong with you? Sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Don't you care? Jesus wakes up. The Bible says he just rebukes the winds and the waves. It wasn't that Jesus didn't care about the storm. It's that Jesus had peace in the middle of the storm. And the way that we have peace in the middle of the storm is we have freedom. And we understand the keys of the kingdom. And we understand the things that God has put before us. Keys also represent a partnership. A partnership. Uh, we have a partnership with God. In Mark 16, 18, it says they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. We have a partnership with God. God wants us to be people that lay hands on, on people and pray for people. And at the same time... God is the one who does the healing. So we have this great partnership with God. There's a partnership with the keys of the kingdom. God has given us responsibility and, and opportunity, but the keys of the kingdom are what has to be understood. Now, check this out. I'm going to give you two points today. I want you to write this down. Number one, God gives me keys so that I can unlock gates. Uh, and that is the gates... Of hell. Now it may sound kind of creepy to unlock the gates of hell, but the gates of hell have been holding people back since the very beginning. 
And if we could use the keys of the kingdom to set people free, just think for a moment in your own life, how much better would your life be if you walked in the freedom that God wants you to walk in? You know, the, the, the book of John says the truth will set you free. Keys of the kingdom. Keys of the kingdom. Uh, Joshua 1.8 is one of my favorite Bible verses. It says, um, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. In other words, if we do God's word, we will prosper. We will be successful. That is a key to the kingdom. That is kingdom living at its best. Okay, you may think, well, how am I going to be successful? What does God want me to do? Joshua 1.8, be careful to do everything that is written in it. Isaiah 26.3 gives us the key to the kingdom of experiencing peace. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. When you are focused on God, you will have peace in your life. It's, it's a key. It's a spiritual principle. It, it, it is a, a spiritual truth. And, and it unlocks spiritual doors uh, that cannot otherwise be unlocked. Okay, Psalm 50, verse 15. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Isn't that beautiful? These are keys to the kingdom. Keys to the kingdom. And we're going to unlock those spiritual gates. Now, here's the second thing. God has given me authority so I can bind and loose. Okay, I can bind and loose. In the spiritual realm... God has given us authority to bind, to, with, to, with, to withhold, to limit, to incapacitate, to uh, limit in its function, to tie down, to, to restrain, to bind it, certain things. And he's given us the ability to loose other things, which is like uh, permitting or freeing something up in the spiritual realm. We do that in and through prayer. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But our kingdom authority is God's divinely delegated right and responsibility for believers to act on God's behalf in the spiritual realm, ruling over his creation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We want heaven to invade earth. And in Matthew 18, Jesus echoes some of the same things that he said in Matthew chapter 16. Look with me, if you would, here in Matthew 18, 18. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth... You will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed again. In other words, it's already, it's already happened in heaven. Okay? Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together, together in my name, I am there among them. Binding and loosing is not a magic formula. Sometimes Christian people get weird about this. They're binding this and they're binding that and whatever. Here's what bind, the, the spiritual principle of binding and loosing is, is really echoed in the model prayer of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, the Lord's Prayer. Where, where uh, Jesus said, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, It's getting God's will done here. It is not me making up what should be bound and loosed. 
It is me, rather, understanding what God has revealed to us in his word and through his spirit and, and praying in accordance with the will of God. Now, sometimes people ask me, Pastor, if it's the will of God, why should I pray about it? Let me give you an answer. Because people are crazy. That's why. Amen? It's true. It's true. The reason you should pray about the will of God is because people are nuts. Okay? Somebody write that down. Somebody just got blessed today. People say, what's the will of God? It's just going to happen. No. We need to pray according to the will of God. People are messing up what God is trying to do. So binding and loosing is not this magic formula. It is rather understanding what God has already predetermined, what God wants to do in heaven, what God desires to do on heaven, but he needs his ecclesia, his senate, his cabinet, you and me, the local church, to act on it to make it happen. And you and I have been given this great opportunity to bring the keys of the kingdom, the keys of the kingdom, here to earth. God has entrusted you and me to bind and to loose certain ideologies, certain, certain uh, things, cer certain results, certain principles in and through the keys of the kingdom. It's a beautiful thing. Now you notice there in verse 18 of Matthew 18, he says, whatever. In other words, whatever is under the authority of Jesus should be bound or loosed. Now that's pretty big, man. I mean, again, it's got to be the will of God, but he says whatever, and he actually says it two times, whatever, whatever. Listen, if you want to have a dynamic, powerful prayer life, listen to the principles of Scripture and listen to what God is wanting to do. Get the heart of God into the heart of people and you will have powerful prayers. Too many times we're trying to get God to do uh, in heaven what we desire to be done on earth rather than, than, than listening to the heartbeat of God in heaven and doing that thing. It, it's, it's, it's a totally different, it's a totally different orientation. Your prayer life will go to a new level when you begin to understand this. And, and we, we need to be binding that's praying against certain things. We need to be loosing. We need to be praying for certain things. And when we do that, we have spiritual authority and power. And in verse 19, he says, I will, I will give you the, key, the keys. Now, this is the amplified translation. I want to share this with you because there's a little more color here to this. I will give you the keys authority of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, declare, lawful, uh, lawful on earth, will have already been loosed in heaven. And the Amplified Translation just takes the biblical languages and it brings a little more color and clarity to it. And you see what I'm talking about a little bit more. Um, Kenneth Woost, the biblical commentator, said, Jesus did not say that God would obey what they did on earth but that they should do on earth whatever God has already willed. The church does not get man's will done in heaven. It obeys God's will on the earth. And that's what we've been saying. God didn't say, here's carte blanche, bind and loose whatever you want to bind and loose and good luck. Um, Beth, Beth Moore, the Bible 
commentator, she, she has a great quote about this. She says, if God had given us carte blanche to bind and loose whatever we wanted to, um, I would have bound and loosed three or four husbands by the time I was age 25. How about that? Um, you, you, in Matthew 16, right after this passage, Jesus is talking with Simon Peter, and he's telling the disciples, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter starts rebuking him. He corrects Jesus. Jesus, you're not going to die. You're the savior of the world. What are you talking about, Jesus? Crazy man. You're not going to be crucified. We're not going to let that happen. Isn't it great that every desire and every purpose, every, every idea that we come up with um, is, not, is not one that God is going to allow to, to, to bind and to loose. We, we've got to hear what God is saying to us and the principles of scripture outline for us the keys of the kingdom. It is already God's will um, and that's what we need to be focused on. I will build my church, Matthew 16. Um, our job is to legislate heaven to earth. We are, we are binding, we are loosing, and it's a beautiful thing. Now, I got some good news for you. I have never been arrested. Are you guys, are you guys glad? People are like, okay, like, I knew I liked this church. Okay, the pastor stays out of jail. That's good. And I don't have a lot of experience with jail very little experience with jail. Never been incarcerated before. Um, I did go to Florida one time, though, and on a trip to St. Augustine, they had an old jail that was built at the end of the 19th century, and people toured it, and it's a, it's a really big tourist attraction for a number of reasons. And you go through and you look at the inside of the prison, and they show you how they locked the people up and all this stuff. It's very interesting. I don't think people were really concerned about inmates' civil liberties back in the day, um, and it operated, you know, probably 60, 70 years before it became like a historical, you know, uh, landmarker and like a museum and all this kind of stuff. But they took us out into the courtyard and they were, they were talking about how they would punish certain inmates. Like if you got out of order, they would take you out of your cell and um, they would do certain things to you. And we were with a whole group of people and the tour guide pointed to me and he said, sir, I need your help. And he pulled me up in front of the whole group of folks, and there was this massive birdcage-looking, looking, you know, prison cell, and he put me in it, and, and, and he incarcerated me. And while he gave the, the speech, you know, he put me in this big oversized cage, and he said that the term jailbird was, was derived from this concept because they would string inmates up in the tree and they would swing, swing around and, you know, it would be hot, I'm sure, in the Florida sun and you would stay up in the tree for a certain period of time and then, you know, once your punishment was over, you could come back down and they would, they would let you out and then put you back in the, in the, the prison cell, I guess. Um, now, spiritually speaking, a lot of people are incarcerated and bound up addictions, discouragement, frustration, lack of self-worth. But God has given us the great privilege to take the keys of the kingdom and to unbind and to, to loose people who are bound up. That's what we call, that's, that's ministry is what that is. Listen, God wants you to walk in freedom. How are you going to walk in freedom? you got to know what God says. you got to know God's word. 
When you know, when you know God's word, you, you, you'll walk in freedom. When you know God's word, you, you've got the keys of the kingdom and you'll be a blessing to the people in your faith community here at the church, in your neighborhood, and wherever you go, because you're an ambassador for Christ, you're taking the keys of the kingdom and impacting people and changing lives. Now, the keys of the kingdom always operate in the context of the local church. Uh, in Matthew 18 and Matthew 16, um, the church is talked about. It's the gathered people in Matthew 18. It's, uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it in Matthew 16. And so we have to understand the church. God has given us, the church is the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? What a great gift that God's given to us. And we are called, we are called to liberate people, to bring freedom to people in and through the church. The church is a great gift. And we pray through the church. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. It's called uh, the prayer of agreement. And prayer of agreement is when you get a couple of your Christian brothers or sisters here at the church. And you're all praying for, for the same thing um, at the same time. Um, and so, you know, you might have two or three people that are like, Hey, listen, we're praying for physical healing for so-and-so. Or we're praying for so-and-so's got some, their, their kids are really struggling with some things right now. We need to pray. And you know, it concentrates and it exacerbates the, 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 in the spiritual realm the power of God when the people of God are praying together. There are some things that only happen in and through prayer. And we need to be praying together. You know, it's great to pray on your own, but who's praying with you? Who are you praying with? Who do you have that prayer of agreement with? We have um, groups here at the church. We have ministry teams. We have, we have different, different ministries in the church to help people pray together. When we pray together, we begin to, to exercise, to use the keys of the kingdom to liberate people and to allow the power of God to be revealed here on the earth. And we're praying in agreement. Now, the context of Matthew 18 is all about relationships. If you read the whole chapter, it starts off talking about a brother who is caught in sin. And so the Bible's asking a, a powerful question. What do we do when people who are members of the church fall into some kind of really bad, you know, sinful thing? Okay. Um, I don't think this is talking about just like one little sin. It's talking about like somebody falls into like a gaping, a gaping pit, you know. And it says that, you know, the one person is to go and talk to the person. And then if that doesn't help, then you take somebody with you. And then you, you bring it before the church. And then, you know, there's these steps. There's several steps that are given in Matthew 18. But one of those steps is prayer. Because there's a point where people do certain things and you've talked to them about it and they don't want to change and all you can do is pray. That's all you got. Now, now when I say all you can do is pray, I don't mean that, that I don't mean to minimize prayer. I'm just saying like there's nothing else you can do except pray. And a few years ago, Gina and I were pastoring another church and we had a friend of mine. This guy was in my wedding and his wife had an affair. And she ran off with a boyfriend. 
And, uh, you know, we were devastated. We were friends with her, too. This was so hurtful. We were so disappointed. And Gina went and met with her, and I was meeting with him. We were trying to help reconcile the marriage. You know, this thing was a mess. And, um, you know, we weren't able to really, it didn't feel like we were making any ground, but we got the church praying. And after a year of prayer, guess what happened? The wife called Gina, and she said, hey, I want to I reconcile the marriage. Now, this was nothing short of a miracle because, and I've heard you, I know you've heard people say this before. It's done. It's over. I'll never go back with them. I don't want anything to do with the marriage. On and on and, and emphatic, you know. But the Holy Spirit had worked. And in the spiritual realm, I think her heart began to change. Certain, certain things began to be bound and other things began to be loosed. And she was ready to do what we never thought would be possible except in and through prayer. Now, prayer changes people. Listen, don't ever give up on a marriage because prayer changes people. It does. Prayer changes people. Don't give up on your children. Prayer changes people. And God has given us the keys of the kingdom to impact people and to change lives. Um, earlier this week, I was on my way over to the church. I was sitting in my car and I realized that I didn't have my keys to the office. And I ran back in the house. I was frantically looking. I was in a hurry that morning. I had a lot to do. I looked in the kitchen, I looked in the bedroom, I looked in the bathroom, I looked in the floorboard under the seat, you know, sometimes keys can fall out of your pocket. I looked everywhere, and I was in a total panic. I was like, man, what am I going to do? It was at that moment that I actually kind of bumped my jacket, and I realized that the keys that I had been looking for were with me. The entire time. <laughs> I had the keys. I just didn't recognize it. I, I want to share with you today. God has given you the keys of the kingdom. You may not feel like you have them. But you do. God wants you to take out those keys. And to be, bless some people. Bring freedom. Bring power. Bind up some things. Loose some other things in the spiritual realm. Because God has given us this beautiful and wonderful opportunity. He says to us, I have given you, church, the keys of the kingdom. Would you pray with me for just a moment?